Good morning. Good morning. My name is Leon McKenzie, or Pastor Mac. My absolute pleasure to welcome you to service this morning. Amen? Amen. Uh, do we need coffee this morning? Are we in need? We have some fantastic coffee that is donated by our own Kylene Kampan downstairs. Please avail yourself of it. Um, I say that both because it seems like we're a little sleepy as well as I'm pretty sleepy this morning. I chose not to drink coffee because to be a little bit more relaxed, and I think I'm too relaxed. So um, you guys give me some energy, man. Get, get me hyped up. Um, you'll notice in the seat backs behind you, if you are a visitor this morning, I want to say welcome. Thank you so much for choosing to worship with us here at Redeemer. In those seat backs, there's a card. It says, Welcome. On the back, it's very beautiful. Pastor Drew did this himself. And he, <laughs> he was a graphic designer in another life. Or I guess he... ...back with you, take you out to lunch or coffee on us. And just get to know you a little bit, tell you a little bit, a little bit about the church. Amen? Amen. 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 And if there is nothing else... Um, Clay, should I go ahead and just switch to the mic? Okay. Thank you. All right. Oh, yeah, this is a lot better. It's a lot better. As long as we stay here and I'm not tethered again, I'll be fine with this. Amen. All right. So today we're going to be talking about faith. And you may be saying, don't we talk about faith every Sunday? Yes, we do. We're going to talk about faith in a very specific way today. And for this sermon, I'd like to offer a very specific definition of faith based on our passage. This is not an exhaustive definition of faith. It doesn't cover every aspect of faith, but it's the kind of faith that is experienced and displayed in our passage this morning. And so the definition of faith I want to offer is this. It's faith is the belief in Jesus to be and to do for us what we are incapable of being and doing for ourselves. Okay, that's the definition of faith that we're going to be talking about today. And it's the kind of faith that we see the two main characters other than Jesus in our story exhibit today. And I want us to look and learn from these two people's interaction with Jesus as they exhibit this kind of faith. What does it tell us about faith? What does it tell us about the display of faith in our own life as we seek to trust in Jesus? And so we're going to be coming from Mark chapter 5, verses 23 through 43. We'll read, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. And I just want to say, um, Rachel, worship was fantastic. Thank you so much for leading us this morning. It's just interesting. Um, I'm, I'm kind of the, the, the late link in the chain. I won't say weak link, but the late link. We should have our slides and sermon notes to Rachel by Thursday or even earlier so she can figure things out. I never get them to her in time. And she still finds a way, just le listening to the Lord, being sensitive to the Lord, to sing songs that go right in line with what I sense the Lord uh, asking me to preach. So praise the Lord for your sensitivity and for your faithfulness in that way. And prayerfully, it's seamless with what we sang and what we'll talk about in this sermon. And so Mark chapter 5, verses 22 through 43, and it begins, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. He said, my little daughter is dying. 
Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd, and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all of this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, friends. Lord, I I am especially grateful this morning to be able to open your word with my brothers and sisters. And I, I thank you that you've been present with us as we've worshiped together, as we've listened to scripture read, as we prayed together. And Lord, as your word is opened and, and, um, and I endeavor to preach this sermon, I pray that you would continue to be with us in a very special way, Lord. Would you grant me, Father, grace, grant me the help of Holy Spirit to proclaim your word with clarity. In truth, Lord, I pray that you would keep heresy far from my lips. Holy Spirit, would you help each of those here listening to have soft hearts and ears to hear that we might receive exactly, precisely what it is you have for us this morning, and that your word, as you tell us, would go forth and it would not return void. But, Lord, may it accomplish in every one of our hearts and minds exactly what you've sent it forth to do. I pray for those who are at home, that the medium of 
of, of, of computer and internet would in no wise be a distraction, but a great help to them that your word would go forth. And even there in their own homes or wherever they are, traveling out and about, Father, your word would accomplish exactly what you've sent it to do. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for your great mercy and kindness to us today. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in each of our hearts, that we would indeed be people of faith. That we, we would be encouraged to persist in trusting you because you are good. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, friends, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I preached in Mark. We've been in Mark for a little while. And I talked about a very special, very um, distinct technique that Mark uses when he's writing in his gospel. And what he does is he'll begin one story, and then he'll take another story and place it in the middle of that story, and then he'll come back and conclude that story. And we talked about the reason Mark does this is because it highlights or emphasizes a common or connecting theme between the two stories. He writes this way to emphasize a specific lesson, something that God wants to communicate to his readers and then by, con by consequence, us as well. And what we find in this particular situation, in this passage with these two stories, is that what Mark wants to communicate to us is an encouragement to maintain radical or deep, sincere, unwavering faith in Jesus. And so through these stories in this particular passage, as he encourages us to maintain faith in Jesus, to persist in faith in Jesus, he also illustrates some very good reasons for us to persist in Jesus. He talks to us, he shows us things about Jesus that makes it clear that it's a good idea for us to continue to persist in believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want us to talk about a few of these reasons this morning. And I also want us to talk about why Jesus, as he is, why he warrants, why, why he, he welcomes, why just in his person he causes us to desire to believe in him the way he does. And the first reason is this, is because faith moves Jesus. Faith, persistent faith, or faith that does not stop in the face of difficulties and obstacles, is the kind of faith that causes Jesus to move on behalf of the faithful, F-U-L-L, -L, the person that is full of faith, the faithful person. And so I want us to take a look at the two main characters in our passage this morning and see the commonalities between them. Okay, the first thing is this, both of the people in our passage, both Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood, and I want to say really quickly, it's one of those unique situations where the writer doesn't give one of the heroes of the story a name. Typically, that's one of the, the telltale signs that they have a name. And what church tradition did historically, what the early church did is they gave this woman a name. They named her Veronica. And so I may refer to this woman as Veronica and the woman with the issue of blood today. I have no idea if that was her name, and I don't think they did either. 
but they wanted to honor her, and I think that it's a worthwhile endeavor to honor her. But we have Jairus and Veronica, and both of them were experiencing a great deal of suffering. Jairus was witnessing, experiencing the fatal illness of his little girl. While the woman with the issue, or Veronica, had been dealing with a debilitating illness, an issue of bleeding, of hemorrhaging consistently for 12 years. And what we learn is that not only was she suffering in in and of herself, but the way Mark tells us the story, she was actually taken advantage of because of her suffering. Mark tells us that she suffered much at the hands of people who knew they couldn't do anything for her, but they took her little bit of money anyway. So she suffered in her body, and she suffered at the hands of unjust people who took her money. And here's the interesting thing, brothers and sisters, for both J. Iris and Veronica. It wasn't the fact that they were suffering that caused Jesus to move on their behalf. It wasn't their pain or it wasn't even just the fact that they had need of deliverance from their suffering that Jesus moved on their, ha- on their behalf. What Mark tells us is that Jesus moved on their behalf because of their faith. Right? Take a look at what happens with the woman once she touches, she touches Jesus, right? Jesus stops dead in his tracks. And he looks around and he says, who touched me? And of course, uh, the disciples, um, I think one of the the 12 disciples or the 13th disciple would have been Captain Obvious from the Hotels.com commercials because the disciples always said the obvious, didn't they? They They say, well, Jesus, what do you mean who's touching you? Everybody is pressing in around you. As a matter of fact, they're crushing you and, and, and by consequences, they're crushing us. How can you ask? Who's touching you? And so Jesus still looks around. And the thing about what the disciples said, the thing about the very obvious thing that they point out to Jesus is that it is true. It's true that there's a ton of people touching Jesus, right? And it's also very true that each one of them likely had their own issues, right? Each one of them had their own illness, their own demons their own struggles, their own bondage that they, need free, that they needed freedom from. But here's the thing, only one of them actually received the freedom they were seeking. Only one of them actually received the healing that they were seeking. And it was this woman. And when Jesus looked around and found her, what did he say to her? He didn't say to her, woman, your suffering has healed you. He didn't say, woman, time is, t- time's up. You, 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 you suffered enough. Be healed. He said, no. He looked at her and he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Brothers and sisters, here's the thing. Sometimes we assume that God is obligated to heal us or do something for us just because we've been suffering. 
Sometimes we assume that God is, is obligated to fulfill a need for us just because we have need. When understand this, brothers and sisters, having need is not unique. We all got them. What the Bible shows us, brothers and sisters, that it's not merely need that moves God, but need plus faith moves God to act on our behalf. Need plus faith moves God to supply the things that we need. And not just any kind of faith, but persistent faith. And I believe that this woman displayed persistent faith. This woman heard Jesus coming by and she was not about to let him go without grabbing hold of Jesus. She was not about to let Jesus go by without getting her healing. And brothers and sisters, persistent faith means that we don't let Jesus go until he moves. Persistent faith means that we keep on praying and praying and praying until Jesus moves on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes I know I ain't preaching. I'm preaching this morning. I'm preaching this morning. I know it. Persistent faith means that we're like the widow from Luke chapter 18 who knew, that, who knew that the judge she went to see every day was an unjust judge, but she refused to stop coming. And the judge looked at her and said, even though I don't fear God and I don't fear man, I will answer your request so that you don't wear me out. And, the, and Luke tells us, he says, well, if God, who is so much greater than this unjust judge, will he not listen to the cry of his children who cry out day and night? Keep crying out, brothers and sisters. Keep on praying. Keep on believing because it's your faith that will move God to act on your behalf. <laughs> Keep on praying and do not lose hope. And so we trust Jesus because placing our faith in Jesus moves him to act on our behalf. But there's another reason why we persist in faith in Jesus. And that reason is this, because there is no limit to what Jesus can do for those who trust in him, for those who believe. Jesus is unrestrained in his redemptive power for us. He is unrestrained in his redemptive power for us. Last week, Pastor Drew preached to us about Jesus calming the raging sea and, and the, stormy, the stormy waters just by speaking to nature, showing that Jesus has complete authority even over nature itself. And then in the story that comes right before the story that we, we read, the stories we read in our passage today, Jesus casts out a whole army, a whole legion of demons out of a man, setting that man in his right mind, giving him peace that he hadn't experienced in a long time. And by this, Jesus showed that he has unlimited power, unlimited authority, even over the spiritual realm as well. And then in our passage this morning, he heals a woman from an illness that no amount of medical attention could heal. And then he even restores life to a dead little girl, showing that Jesus' word is the final word on life and death. Jesus' authority is the ultimate authority on who lives or dies. 
And Mark makes it plain for us through these stories that Jesus has the redemptive power to do absolutely anything we ask of him. And friends, I'm just crazy enough to believe that Jesus can still do anything we ask of him today. I'm just crazy enough to believe that Jesus can still heal and still restore and still deliver and even more still save this day. And we should persist in faith because Jesus can do all that we ask him and need him to do. But here is the difficult question for all of us this morning. Here's the difficult question that I'm sure is already ringing some of our minds and our hearts already today. How do we and how should we respond when Jesus doesn't do what we ask and believe him to do for us? How should we react? How should we respond when he doesn't do what we ask him to do? And the temptation, unfortunately, is usually to believe one of two things, if not both. That right? Either God just really can't do what we're talking about. Or he's just not good enough to do it. He just doesn't love us enough to do it. And if I'm honest, brothers and sisters, as someone who has unanswered prayers out there, who has unmet longings as we all do, this is not very easy to preach. This is hard to preach. It's just as hard as it is to understand. So please don't hear that me or any one of us have this put together. But this is what the Bible tells us. This is what the Bible says is true, okay? The Bible makes it clear that God is good and that his love for us is immeasurable and that he is also all-powerful. And so if these things are true, brothers and sisters, what we have to fight to believe is that if God does not give us the thing we're asking for, it's because his plan for us without that thing is better. We have to believe that if God does not give us that job, it's because his plan for us without that job is better, right? It has to be that if that healing does not come through, it's because his plan for us without being healed is better, right? If that spouse does not come our way, right? If if that thing we've been hoping for does not come our way, whatever that thing is, brothers and sisters, we have to continue to believe that it's because the good God that we serve has better plans for us than we have for ourselves. And I'm not saying that that's easy, but we need to pray for more grace. Ask God to give us the grace to continue to trust him when we deal with the hard truth that is not going to happen the way we want it to happen. I think about his story. It's a funny story, but it, um, I think a few of my funny stories at church involve Barry because uh, he's just a funny guy. But um, one occasion, when, when I turned 30, many, many years ago, it wasn't that long ago, but when I turned 30, uh, Barry asked me, he said, hey, how, how did you feel turning 30? And I was like, I feel fine. It doesn't feel much different than 29. And he went on to say, well, you know, when I turned 30, I felt like my world was upside down. I had no, no idea which way I was going, what was going on. And, and he mentioned that, not to give his age away, but when he turned 40, it was the op- complete opposite. He was settled. He felt like, this is great, you know. And I was like, no, nah, I don't really feel that way. And it was about a month or two later where it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, oh, like, and I was mad. I was like, why did Barry ask this question? Because now, now I'm, I'm experiencing it. Like, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going, you know? 
And it hit me that as a, as a younger man, as a younger person, I had a lot of dreams and aspirations to be a lot of things. You, you, you ever go to school and ask a kid what they want to be? They never say nothing. <laughs> we all have dreams and aspirations. And as we get older, we learn to grieve the fact that life may not turn out exactly as we had planned. And the call of the Christian is to be able to look God and understand that he is good, understand that he is all-powerful, and at the same time understand that his plan for us is better than the plan we had for ourselves. And I'm not saying that it's easy, but let us continue to pray. And Lord Jesus, please continue to grant us the grace to believe and trust. Because it's not hard, it's not easy, Lord. Grant us the grace. And so we believe, brothers and sisters, because Jesus is able to do anything on our behalf. He is unrestricted. But lastly, we believe, brothers and sisters, because Jesus shows himself to be incredibly compassionate, full of compassion. Jesus sees us. He sees us in our pain and our unmet longings. He sees us in our grief. And he loves us and he calls us sons and daughters. When Jesus looks around and he looks to see who, who had touched him, what's lost on us is the significance of this particular woman, of, of, of Veronica, touching Jesus in this day. Because her touching Jesus the way she did was practically a crime. First thing is that she was what, what they would call in the day ritually or, 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 or spiritually unclean. Because of her continued hemorrhaging, according to Jewish law, she shouldn't have been around anybody, much less a Jewish teacher or rabbi like Jesus. And when she grabbed him and touched him, she could have experienced jail, a beating, or some form of public shame, or even worse. Which explains why when Jesus finally finds her, she comes trembling and she falls at his feet in fear. She knew the potential of what could happen in that moment, but she never bargained for what actually happened to her. But again, the significance, the extent, the magnitude of this moment, the revolutionary nature of this moment is lost on us because we're so far removed from the culture. And I tried to think about an, ish, an, an illustration of what would, 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 would encompass the magnitude of this moment for us today, and I couldn't think of one that wouldn't make me feel uncomfortable, much less anybody else. And so I decided to tell an illustration of an opposite event to kind of give us an, ex, an understanding of what happened. You may have seen this. Uh, about a couple years ago, um, the Pope, who is, if you don't know who the Pope is, he's the leader of the Roman Catholic Church. He's, he's one of the most influential humans on the planet. He has been for years and years. And I don't mean to say what I'm going to say to disparage him. This is just a true story. And uh, the Pope was out somewhere, I don't know where he was, and he was walking by a large group of people behind a barricade. And as he walked by, he touched some of the children, kind of in the prayer blessing motion. He shook some hands. And as he was about to turn from the crowd, this woman comes front and center in the camera. 
and she's dressed normally. She looks, she looks perfectly normal, but she looks desperate, and she has her hands folded like this, and she's crossing herself, and she's looking at the Pope as a little child, and you can tell she wants nothing more than the Pope to come by and touch her and bless her as he's done all these people, and right before he gets to her, he breaks from the crowd and goes a different direction. And not wanting to miss her chance, this woman grabs this pope and grabs his hand and pulls him to her. And, he's just, and she's just talking to him and telling him her request. And the pope, completely turned off by this moment, repeatedly slaps this woman's hand until she lets go. And then the bodyguards come and restrain the woman. So when this woman grabbed the hand of a man who should have represented the Lord, or who does, to a degree. She gets a slap. But when Veronica, the woman with the issue of blood, grabs hold of the Lord Jesus Christ, Almighty God in the flesh himself. And mind you, this woman was, not, was probably not dressed the way this woman was. This woman probably looked in every way like the societal outcast she was. She probably looked in every way like her unclean status said she was. Nobody would care for this woman in her particular situation. No one would give this woman a second look. This woman looked just like every person we would pass by on the street as someone not worth our time. And when this woman grabbed hold of the cloak of Jesus, he turned to her and said, daughter. He looked to her and said, my daughter. Brother and sister, if you're here this morning and you feel like you don't belong here this morning, if you're here this morning, you consider the things that you've done or the places that you've been or the person that you've been and you, uh, you have experienced people walk by and not give you a second thought to the suffering you've experienced, I want you to hear the Lord Jesus Christ look at you today and say, daughter. I want you to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, look at you and say, son. As you reach out in faith and grab his cloak, I want you to hear to him, go and be free from your suffering. Peace, I proclaim to you. And hear me, brothers and sisters, this peace is not just any kind of peace. This peace is not a matter of just temporal peace. It's not just the good, kind, the good feeling kind of peace. No, this peace means that you are indeed adopted into the family of God. This peace means that your sins are forgiven. This peace means that you are reconciled with the God of the universe. And forever and a day, he will call you his beloved son, his beloved daughter. Peace. 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 If you're here this morning and you don't know this peace, please don't leave without grabbing a hold of Jesus this morning. Because he is here. And lastly, I want to say this. Maybe you're here and you, you've been asking Jesus for something and you've probably grown tired. You've been praying for years for God to move on your behalf in some way, maybe to to save family members, you know, for, for any, any matter of thing. And please hear me when I say don't give up. Don't give up praying and trusting Jesus. 
In verses 35 and 36, after Jesus heals the woman of the issue of blood and he, and he tells her to go in peace and be freed from her suffering, some servants come from the house of Jairus. And it's very interesting that this whole, this whole scene, they come, to, they come to, to Jairus and they tell him, with Jesus standing there, by the way, they say, hey, don't bother Jesus no more. Your daughter is dead. And the word in the NIV is translated as overhearing, but the literal definition of the word is ignoring. When the NIV says Jesus overhears them, the reality is what Jesus does is ignores them. Jesus ignores those who would cause Jairus to believe that Jesus is bothered by him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is never bothered by faith. Jesus is never bothered by our faith. As a matter of fact, Jesus, he ignores the naysayers and he looks at Jairus and says, keep on believing. Jesus is never tired by our believing. And ultimately, Jairus receives his daughter back alive. Friends, ignore those thoughts, those people, those voices, whatever it may be that tells you that Jesus isn't listening or that he's grown tired of your cries. Ignore those voices. Keep on praying. Keep the faith because Jesus is moved by your faith. Keep the faith because there is no limit to what he can do for those who trust in him. And keep the faith because Jesus is filled, overrunning with compassion and love for you. Amen. Let's pray together, friends. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word and I thank you for being present. And Lord, I'm just praying for your grace. That come what may, and sure enough, Lord, you've promised that things would come, that we would not lose hope. That we would keep on believing. And my prayer, God, is that you would show up and show out in response to our persistent faith and trust. We love and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.